Hi, and welcome to Empowering Blackpool, the podcast designed to help anyone overcome the problems that all of us can face at some point in our lives. I'm Lindsay from Empowerment Charity, and in this episode, I speak to David Wilson. David is a peer navigator with the Prison Leavers Project, and through his own lived experience of drug abuse and serving time in prison over a period of three decades, he is best placed to understand and support others in our town. David, welcome to Empowering Blackpool. Hiya. So, let's get into it. Uh, Let's have a little talk about leaving prison. So, what happens when you leave prison usually? So, what's it like to leave prison? My experience, Lindsay, is that um, having done numerous prison sentences uh, as a result of uh, the the substances that I used and and the crimes I committed to fund that, going to prison was like, it, it was like a... It was like a holiday. I could go to, I could go there, and I could recharge my batteries, and 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 I would make all sorts of promises to my family. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and I would write all these letters, and I would make all these promises. But on the day of release, something changed. I, I, and if I did, if they put me on a lie detector test when when I had made those promises, I would probably have passed it because I did believe in my heart that I would I, I would commit to that stuff. But on the day of my release, something changed. And all of the promises that I made in the past, I could never live up to. I could never fulfill them because there was something that, that all there was something bigger than me that drove me when I walked out the prison gates. And it was always go to the off license and have a few cans. And because I think I thought I deserved a treat, it would be okay for me to treat myself because I'd done this little period of abstinence. And then I'd, I'd go to the off license, I'd have a couple of cans. And before I know it, I'm not getting to a probation appointment. I'm not getting to housing. I'm not getting to, to to sort out my benefits because I go from having a couple of cans on the way home to being in a smack or a crack den later that night. And all the other stuff, all the promises that I made just fell by the wayside. And that was always my experience of coming out of prison. And I know it is for other people as well. So obviously you've spoke about addiction there and I mean, I've, obviously, I've never been to prison, so I don't know what it's like in prison if you do have an addiction. But what kind of problems then can happen when you are a prison leaver? You come out, I know obviously we've spoken about addiction, but are there other problems that prison leavers face? Yeah, but, but the thing is, coming out of prison, because I was so entrenched in, in that lifestyle, I didn't know any other people. The only people that I ever had had anything in common with were other drug users and other people who committed crime to fund that. So inevitably, I would be drawn back to those people. As soon as I landed in Blackpool, I can I, I would either bump into somebody or I would remember a phone number that I'd forgotten months before. It would just all of a sudden pop into my head, and I'd be able to within half an hour of my feet hitting Blackpool, I'd be able to to have heroin, crack, or, or whatever I needed. So I was always go I was always drawn back into that 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 circle of, of of the same people, the same things, the same places, the same nonsense, the same getting arrested, going back to prison, and it was just like a never ending cycle of of mayhem, of mayhem and chaos, and 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 I and I never even imagined that it would be possible for me to stop that because I'd resigned myself to the fact that that would be my life. So that's what I was going to ask. So how how do you go from being so chaotic and entrenched in all of this to then actually, you know, being in Blackpool and doing maybe the opposite? So, like, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in Blackpool now. Right. Well, what I try to be is I try to be the person 
for those guys like me who are coming out of prison with all of these, all, all, all of this stuff going on. I tried to be the person for them who that somebody was for me. There was a certain few people who I'd call it divine intervention. God, the God that I understand placed these people in my path in order to get me to where I needed to be in order for me to make changes in my life that would resulted inevitably in me coming here and helping other people. Wow. So that sounds quite a powerful sort of intervention then, really, to say how chaotic you were to obviously the work that you're doing now. I know obviously you're working with the lived experience team, especially obviously with those prison leavers. But why do you think that people actually engage with those lived experience team? Like, why would people think, oh, you know, it's another service in Blackpool. So why why do you think that people actually think, no, actually, they're a bit different? And why, why do you think you get the results that you do? Most drug services, and I know we're not a drug service, most, well, most services that, that, that entrench drug users and, and, and uh, people who are entrenched in the criminal justice system, most, the most services that they access, people in there are kind of set in their ways. They've been doing that job for a long, long time and they have their ways of doing things and, 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 and they have all this red tape and stuff that they have to... And we tend not to do that. I know from my experience, when I sat down in a room with somebody who was trying to give me a prescription or, or who was trying to tell me, just just don't take drugs anymore or just use on a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday, just just cut down what you're using, stick to your methadone. That, that came from a place, it came from a well-meaning place, from a well-meaning individual, but it had no impact on me because I could tell that those people hadn't walked, they hadn't felt the pinch of my shoes. But when the, what the difference with the lived experience team is, we have that experience. I can sit down with, with, with somebody and within two or three minutes, I've struck up a conversation with this person. Now I'm meeting them on a level. I'm not a little bit better than and they're a little bit worse than me. I'm meeting them on a level. And when, when, when I can do that and they understand it, I know the pain they've been, the, the pain they're in, the troubles that they've gone through, the places that they've been. The, the situations that they've been in, the substances they've used, the, the, the family members whose hearts they've broken numerous times over. I understand that stuff. And they know that just by the conversation that we have. And when I can meet them on, on a level like that, something just opens up in them. And before I know it, I, I'm getting stuff out of them that, that they've never told anybody. That's the difference between lived experience and, and people who, dare I say, are... are just drawing a wage at the end of the month. Yeah, I think that's probably the difference for me anyway, working at Empowerment Charities, that we don't do services to people. We, we we do have our vision, mission and values, which is we journey alongside that person, which might sound a little bit flaky, but actually it is. It's, it's the journey that's, that you're doing alongside that person. And obviously most of us come from that lived experience, whether we're in the lived experience team or not. It's It's about just understanding and having that empathy and that lived experience and then journeying with them and saying, yep, this is coming up. It's going to be hard or it's going to be good or it's going to be bad, but that we're going to be there together. And and I think probably for me from that understanding, it is it just works, not looking and sounding like a service. That for me is the key because we don't, we're just humans that work at empowerment. We're just of people. Course, and actually we're, that's the most relatable thing and, and just to be human in that yeah. situation. And if someone doesn't turn up for an appointment, it's not, well, three strikes and you're out. It's they didn't turn up for that appointment. Why? Let's understand that. Let's kind of work together to see why that happened and, and how can we change that? Don't know about your thoughts on that. These people are so chaotic. 
expecting them to turn up for an appointment in the first place is, is you, you're going to be let down because chances are unless you really unless you go and knock on the door pick them up and bring them to that appointment they're not going to turn up so we have a different approach what we do is we'll meet them where we find them and 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 the good thing we, we work alongside project adder as well and the good thing about that is that project adder are starting to change the way that services work we can meet away a chaotic client. We just bump into them on outreach, just bump into them on the street. So we'll engage them in conversation. Then we can ring up somebody from Project Adder who will come out and assess them. On, they will assess them on the spot. We had one instance, right? This guy, he had stage four cancer. He was found sleeping in the toilets in uh, Ginn Square in Blackpool with all his medication, all his pain medication in a carrier bag. We found him there. Stephen found him there. And um, we ended up, he started engaging with us because we had a rapport. We man knew this guy used to sell drugs to this guy back in back in the early 2000s. And uh, and Stephen grew up with him. So we picked him up. We managed to get him into a, a nursing home to tend to his needs. He stayed there for a couple of months, but he fell back out again. He got, he got chaotic again. And then when he eventually had enough, he came back to our office because we had already built this rapport up with him and he knew we had to come to when he wanted help. So he came looking for us. And when we went upstairs to get his drug workers from Horizon, we brought his drug worker down. He gave him an appointment for two weeks' time. Come back and see me in two weeks. I'm not going to see that guy in two weeks. And what he said to us was, so that I'm going to have to go and use heroin again for, for the next two weeks. So Stephen went upstairs and he spoke to the, the other prescriber. And that guy left there that day with a prescription for methadone. Wow. Yeah, that immediate work is is so vital. These these guys can't wait two weeks. You can't say to them, come back in two weeks. There's a very small window of opportunity with these people. And if we're not there, when that window opens, we've lost them again. So we just consistently turn up. We consistently knock on the door. We consistently go looking for them. We And, and we inevitably find them somewhere. And, and, and we just engage them in that conversation. We draw them back into, into our... The first thing I do with a client, it doesn't matter what he looks like, what he smells like, what he, but I, I, I will put my arms around him and hug him. Services don't do that. Services aren't allowed to do that. We are. Somebody did that for me, Lindsay. When I first, when I first got clean, a guy put his arms around me. I never heard a word he said, but I remember the hug that he gave me. It did something. It reached somewhere inside of me that words couldn't get to. Wow. Sometimes they just need to feel a little bit of human, a bit of humanness that, that somebody cares. Absolutely. Yeah. You're giving me goosebumps here. I was <laughs> thinking about, so can you give us an example of how you've helped someone? I know obviously you've just talked about a few different things, but sometimes it's not all good, is it? Like sometimes things don't happen the way that you'd planned. Obviously, I know you're working with prison leavers. So could you talk to us about that? Um, the most recent experience was Friday when we picked a guy up from prison on Friday. He has mental health issues, paranoid, schizophrenic. He's got a personality disorder. He's slightly autistic. Um, so this guy doesn't do well. What we usually do with people when we pick them up from prison is that we try to get everything done in one day because it's once they get back into the, the, their old way of doing things, it's really hard to get them back out of it. So what we do is we try to get them housed, we try to get the benefits sorted out, and we get them to probation. So if we can get, get those three things done, as long as they can connect, stay connected with those three, three things, they'll have money to feed themselves, 
They're, if they're connected with probation, the chances are they're not going to be getting breached, so they won't be going back to prison. And if we can get them housed, they're no longer street homeless. Chances are they might they might fall in with a different. If they hang around us, we'll introduce them to a different crowd of people. So it, it's a long day, though. It can be from from nine o'clock picking them up to four or five o'clock in the afternoon, just appointment after appointment after appointment. So this was this guy on Friday. We picked him up and and we started. First of all, we took him to the bank. He got his bank details because he needed them for the DWP appointment later in the day. And then we took him for some breakfast. We took him to Highfield Road and we sat him down in a cafe and had some breakfast with him. And we just got chatting and having a laugh and a joke and and and, and we just built that rapport from there. And then we started taking him to these appointments. And um, by the afternoon, he was starting to flag. I could see that he was starting to get irritable and and, and his leg was shaking under the desk. And, and, and we were in housing and, and we were going through this risk assessment with one of the housing officers and she, and she would ask him a question. And he would answer the question and then she would ask him to embellish it a little bit. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Could you explain a little bit more about that? And I had to say to her, excuse me, Lord, is there any chance we could rush this through a bit? Because this guy, he's, he's, he's really, he just he just wasn't travelling well by the end of the day. And I could see that. And it, it, he just needed a break. By the time we left there, we still had to go to the, the door to get his phone to pick up. Because we can get them a free phone from DWP as well. So once we've got a phone number, we've got a, we've got a way to contact them. But he wasn't. By the time we came out of there, he'd had enough. So um, he asked, "Could he go? To, could he?" We managed to get him housed. They put him in a travel lodge for three days: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He says, "Is it okay if I just walk along the front? I'll go to the travel lodge on my own. I just want to clear my head a bit." And I says, "Right, no, not a problem. You do that. I'll go and pick your phone up, and I'll drop it. I'll drop it with you over the weekend." And uh, when I went to drop his phone off, on, but I, I didn't manage to get there till Sunday, but when I went to drop his phone off on Sunday, they, they told me that he hadn't even checked in. So the guy, he never made it to the Gosh. the travel lodge. Now that guy has since, but it, what he did do was make his way back to his mum's where he was safe, where he was comfortable, but he was causing his mum loads of problems because he, he, had, he, had, he now had benefits in his pocket. He had his discharge grant in prison and, he, and he, straight away he bought heroin and crack and he, and he was back into that psychotic state and his mum's little supported living bungalow. And I went there to see him yesterday, not, well, to see his mum yesterday and she was in such a state, she, she, she couldn't cope with him. She'd been videoing him over the weekend, punching himself in the head and, and making threats to, to harm himself. He, he was in a really bad, bad place. So I, I had to ring his probation officer, who had she had already started the recall papers because if he's not contactable, he's already breaching his license condition. Yeah, yeah. So the guy's he's now been recalled to prison. That was just and 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 that was even with her help. But what what we didn't realise, and it's something that I will look at now, is, is that. Because he had those issues, maybe we could have staggered these appointments. We could have did one on the Monday, one on the Tuesday, one on the Wednesday, so that he wasn't overwhelmed by it all. So there is a part, there is a bit of responsibility lies at my door for that as well, and I will look at that. That's something I will change in the future. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's no two people are the same, so it's it's different for everybody. And I guess it's just learning from those things that have happened and yeah, yeah. seeing actually, oh gosh, you know, I'm seeing a bit of a pattern here actually with this guy. So or this lady, let let's move on to something different, you know, and and that's what it's about. We are human, we are learning ourselves and, and we are sort of pressing on. 
So I'm going to say that change is possible. So if someone listening is leaving prison, what would you recommend that they do? Well, we we only deal with with people with multiple disadvantage needs. So if if they're entrenched in in, in the criminal justice system, if they have drug issues, if they have housing issues, if they we will ideally in this area build a rapport with them, go into prison, visit them, build that rapport, and and we will pick them up on the day out. We will sort all that stuff out with them. We can also offer stuff. We don't stop working at five o'clock. I, I, I pick up clients. Stephen picks up clients. Ben picks up clients, and we take them to mutual aid meetings at night. So, it, and there is there is no time limit on what on 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 how long we can spend with a client or or spend working with a client. So this guy who's gone back to prison now, he won't be closed. We will keep him open. I'll keep that line of communication open. I will still go and see him in prison. And if he wants to connect with us again when he comes back out, we will do that. But anybody else who who finds himself in prison and wants to change. For me, the only the only way I, I changed was by changing everything else. I had to stop hanging around with the people that I was hanging around with. And then by doing that, I started wanting to change a little bit more Then I got involved with, with other people who were doing There was somebody, there was always somebody to connect me with the, with, with, the, with the other people that I would need moving forward in my life. And I just trust, and by the time I was ready, but by the time I got, I started changing my life, I was ready to do whatever anybody suggested I do. Well, David, thank you so much for talking with Empowering Blackpool. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you found Empowering Blackpool useful, please give us a rating and leave us a review in your podcast app. For more information about the topics discussed in this episode, go to empowermentcharity.org.uk or call 0300 32 32 100.